Hi guys, it's Future Noor here, and the episode you're about to listen to was recorded in April. Um, it has been postponed due to everything that's been happening in Palestine, and although I will be continuing to have amazing guests on, whether they live on the ground in Palestine or in the diaspora, I did want to release this episode because it's a really amazing guest and um, her show, which we will get into once you listen to the episode, is available now. So um, please disregard any dates that we say, like, this is when it's coming out, like, ignore those. They're out now. So you can watch all of the episodes that we're going to discuss. And yeah, I'm really excited for you guys to hear this. It's been... It's been in the vault for too long, and I hope you enjoy it. Welcome back to Arab American Psycho. My name is Noor, and I'm very excited about this week's guest. She's a Saudi performing artist, singer, songwriter, and talk show host based in Los Angeles. Welcome, Ratana Tarabzuni. Hi, Habibti. Salam, everybody. Thanks so much for having me. Of course, I am so, so excited to have you on the show. We were just briefly chatting about, as as always, cats. I don't know why I stop talking about cats. Um, but, you know, cats. Listen. they're important. We really, honestly, I think that there's a lot of parallels. We were talking about cats and boundaries, and yeah. that's just so relevant to so much of what we're going to talk about today. So we're on, we're, we're on topic. We are on topic. So I did really quickly want to just kind of, you know, learn more about like your upbringing. So you were born and raised in Saudi Arabia. Yes. Yeah. How, do you have, did you have siblings? Were you an only child? Yeah, no, I had, uh, I, and still have an older <laughs> brother and, uh, and a younger sister. My brother's a couple years older than me and my sister is eight years younger than me. So that was a big gap. Um, but yeah, I was born and raised there. I moved to the States a little over, uh, six years ago now. I can't believe it's been that long. Um, but yeah, all, you know, I was there until, you know, my, my twenties really and left, uh, left, uh, after I was working at an oil company. So very much uh, like a hard pivot. <laughs> yeah. A hard pivot. Yeah. Did you move to LA like knowing that you wanted to be um, an art, like a performing artist? Like, was that the goal when you came over here, or is that something that you discovered later? I think that, yeah, that's a great question. You know, I I really moved here based off of uh, kind of an awakening that I had over the course of a couple of years, where you know I woke up. It wasn't like I will. I was gonna say I woke up one day and I'm like, no, that's absolutely not what happened. I think just gradually, you know, I went to college, came back, uh, started working at this oil company that my entire family had worked at, and I loved it. I loved my job. I loved the community there, and yet something in my spirit was suffering. Was uh, I could st- for the first time in my life, I was starting to feel that inside of me something was buried very, very deep down. And as I started to look at it, it started to become very apparent to me that I had no idea what I truly believed in. You know, what was God? What did death mean? What's my relationship meant to be um, uh, in this world? What's just the first, you know, I I grew up very religious. um, And so I was taught not to question. So really over the course of 
these two years, it was like an itch that wouldn't go away. And, and with that uh, self-acknowledgement came, you know, my dreams. <laughs> and I realized, holy shit, like I've always dreamt of being a singer. I've always wanted to be in rooms with people using my voice and my body to communicate and, and exchange energy. And so I really... I left, I left with that knowledge, but I did, I had no idea. Like I knew I wanted to sing, but I had no idea what the fuck I was doing. Like I had never written a song in my entire life. I didn't know anyone in America. Like I didn't know shit. I had no plan. <laughs> um, so it was really this like intuitive, it was me listening to my intuition for the first time in my life. So I hope that answers your question. I wasn't that like, does. you know, that definitely you know. does more and more so than I honestly, than I would have been able to, cause that's a really great, like, I feel like you just described what a lot of young women experience. And then and what happens a lot is we don't trust our gut. And yeah. I, I'm only starting to really trust my gut and I'm, you know, in my early thirties, but that was definitely not always the case because, you know, you can just say, Oh, maybe I'm just having a little anxiety. Like maybe I'm having yeah. a weird day. Like, you know, you make all these excuses and your body is like screaming and, and letting you know, like, Hey, like, you know, listen to me. And it's, it's definitely, um, I think the one of the best things that you can do is is trusting your gut and and have that kind of relationship with your body and your mind and, and everything where you're so in tune with yourself and you know what your body is trying to tell you and I think that's actually pretty like it's pretty risky though to just kind of move your not no shit like what was that experience like <laughs> I literally have a whole show about that experience because it was so fucking wild and is so fucking wild till this day. Like I truly, I have a one woman show slash musical and it's called alien of extraordinary ability, which is my immigration status here in the U S which I find incredibly insulting and also awesome. Um, <laughs> like it's just so terrible and so cool at the same time. Cause I really do feel like an alien of extraordinary ability. Um, but it was like, you know, it's not, I think a lot of times people uh, that were born and raised here, when they hear about me moving here, they're like, oh my God, were you like totally culture shocked? And I was like, no, like we had a, we had America Plus. That was the channel that we watched uh, American television on called America Plus. So like we, wa you know, like I watched America Plus. I, I knew what was up and also I traveled. I went to, I went to college here. So in that respect, uh, I wasn't like shell shocked about that, but it was, I mean, moving here was perhaps the most difficult, you know, this journey is, is so, so difficult. A, it's, it's so hard to leave home. It's so hard to leave your mother. It's so hard to, um, you know, leave, even though you're not leaving it in a sense, there is a part of me again, that my intuition that knew that this journey that I was going to go on was going to be a very difficult one. And it was potentially going to, you know, have me become every, I, I just like intuitively knew that every step I was going to take towards myself meant a step away from, uh, my belonging to my culture. Although in my heart, I still belong there, but Anyways, I, I got like, this is me, zero to a hundred all the way. Like I'm just like it. now, I just, but it was difficult. You know, I, I didn't know anyone or anything. I landed here. I convinced my, I convinced my family to let me come here. Cause I was like, I'm going to get my master's. That was like the way, you know, right, Ar right. Arab dads, they're like, go get an education. I was like, okay. So I uh, started my master's at USC and then I just, 
honestly, I literally went to a karaoke bar every day for six months, every week. Sorry, not every day, every week, <laughs> once a week. I went to a kid, like it's called the Brass Monkey in Koreatown. And I sang and I got myself a vocal coach. And I I uh, did this really shitty cover of uh, Lord's Song Team. I like couldn't even really sing then, but there was something there. Yeah. And I, it was to protest the ban on women driving. This was in like fucking 2014. And it kind of like, you know, went viral-ish. And I was like on these news outlets. And that was just kind of the universe being like, okay, I keep going. So it was that was that moment I was like, oh, okay, like my voice, you know, my voice does something. And I just really never stopped from there. I really believe that if you if your intention is in the right place, uh, and you start to do the work and just, you know, send the signal to the universe that, hey, I'm I'm here to do this. People come out of the fucking woodworks, man. Like the people that taught me to write and perform are like, I can't believe, I can't believe that they, that they did that because they're just so incredible and so talented and just so exceptional in their field. But I really think, again, if your intention is pure and you put yourself out there, people recognize you. And so I was lucky enough to just like learn from all these incredible artists. That's honestly so amazing. And yeah, and I, I think that you're right where like you, when you, you know, put yourself out there in that way, even if the response, even if you don't go viral, but like if there is a response or if you feel like it's right, I think that that's definitely like, again, just a moment of like trusting yourself and trusting that you know that this is something that you need to explore and and, yeah. and not thinking so much about okay, what, what's going to be the end goal? I don't think that's always necessarily the best route. I think that sometimes it's more so just putting yourself out there, putting whatever it is that you create artistically out there and, and seeing how you feel and how people respond and, and, and kind of just listening to yourself and everything around you and, and kind of going from there. And I find whenever I do that, things really do just fall into place. And uh, I, yeah. I want to talk about a little bit you know, you, you mentioned that when you were moving to, to California, you kind of just trusted almost your, your intuition. When you were growing up, what was your relationship like with your body and, and I guess every sense of the word body? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a really complicated one. You know, I went to Saudi schools and it was a very strict religious curriculum and I was very religious. Um, and we had, you know, the only mention of our body and um, its agency. Uh, actually, there we we were not taught about our body's agency at all. But there was only, the only mention of it was, you know, the power of our of our being and sexuality was don't have sex. Uh, you know, you'll burn in hell when you get married. <laughs> have sex, have sex, please your husband. You know, have children for God. Um, so that, and, you know, I grew up in an environment where you had to cover the shape of your body. Um, so, and yet in the privacy of my own room, uh, I have always been very erotic and I, I really want to, um, I really want to clarify that what I mean when I say erotic is the true meaning of eroticism, which is, you know, full aliveness and the sense of, 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 of life becoming more of itself within your body, this generative energy, you know, sexual energy, life force energy, creation energy, like even as a, I, I, 
honestly, like as early as like 11, 12, 13, I started to move my body and, and gyrate and dance and breathe and listen to music. And, you know, Alanis Morissette and Sade were huge for me. And I felt there was a part of me that just knew innately that there was something really powerful happening here. And, and yet I felt so disgusted that I, and so disgusted and so ashamed and so confused because, you know, it, it went against everything else that I believed in. Cause I was also very religious and I, I really believed that that was wrong and that I wasn't supposed to have that power and agency and wasn't supposed to, you know, move my body like that. So I really grew up, I think, as so many of us did, with a lot of cognitive, spiritual, sexual dissonance. Um, and so much of my art is a, a, an attempt to alleviate that and make sense of it. Yeah, and I think that, you know, as someone who, you know, grew up Muslim, I, I have a very religious family. I think that that is kind of a shared experience with a lot of people who grow up with very religious or cultural even parents where there's lots of shame culture just tied in to everything. Like the root of everything is shame. Everything comes yeah. back to shame. Everything. It's just shame is shame. Shame is like a big thing. I think for all women of all cultures and religions, but I Absolutely. feel like, you know, as someone who I can only speak for my own experience. So Luckily for me, shame wasn't a huge part of my relationship with religion, but I know that that is not really typically the case. And I want to talk a bit about, so you mentioned that you you grew up religious. Do you still consider yourself to be religious? Yeah, I do. And I want to clarify, you know, like I kept, like my parents my parents are super liberal, like in comparison to like, you know, my father, I would even say in some ways is like pretty radical. Um, my parents, you know, they let me and in Saudi, this is like, you just have to remember that we're talking about Saudi Arabia, yeah. here, but like, my parents let me, um, you know, mix with guys and like, yeah. singing wasn't forbidden. And there was music and my father and mother made sure that I was, you know, well traveled. And they really, they really, ex- you know, I, I was not, I was not by any means as oppressed um, as, as a lot of people are in Saudi Arabia. And I just, I bring that up because I think, but you know, again, I did go to Saudi schools and it's like, it, it, it really is a form I believe of brainwashing. Um, and I think that shame is really sneaky. Like it's just kind of in the air, you yeah. know, like even if, I don't even think that most people know that they're shaming when they are shaming. I think a lot of people don't know the shame that they are living with. Um, it's not always, it's not always obvious. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, no, I, and I agree with that because, you know, growing up, like, like I said, like, I don't feel like shame based kind of actions. Like, like I was never told, Oh, do this because if yeah. not like it's Arab, which I have is the Arabic word for shame. Like there was yeah. usually like a pretty legit explanation for why or why not my parents wanted me to do certain things. That's wonderful. Yeah. And, and I, so I, 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 I know that that ge- is a genuine response because that that is what people they're like, holy, like, my parents were not like, do this, or you're gonna go to hell. They were like, do this, because you will feel good. And you will feel clear minded. Oh, like, like, that. it was a very, like, I feel like healthy relationship that I had growing up. And even though as I got older, 
you know, I, I really started to question things. And, and I know you mentioned this earlier, but like in Islam, typically like you are supposed to actually like question things, but there are certain things in the religion that don't have an explanation. And you just got to like trust in God. There's a lot of that that happens where like you can ask a question, but there is actually no explanation for this. And you just have to like, you know, trust yourself. And, and I've had a lot of conversations about those types of situations with my dad, because I'm like, I kind of want an explanation. I got to be honest with you. And I think it's because I grew up with everything being explained to me in depth. Yeah. And I, and I would be interested in, in kind of learning more about, you know, where was most of your religious education coming from? Was it through like schools, external things, or was it at home? Like what were the yeah. sources to, for you? I mean, for me, it was completely, I mean, I just, I just want to, I just want to comment on what you just said, because it's super important. I mean, yeah. we have literally a phrase in Islam, it's called ijtihad, what you're, de- what you're describing. And ijtihad is the practice that we are all encouraged to do. And it's just yes. like, we never talk about it. You know, ijtihad is the practice of looking at the Quran and, you know, the hadith, which are the passages from the prophet. And taking these teachings and acknowledging that so much, I mean, the Quran is pure poetry, right? Mm -hmm. And so our responsibility through ijtihad is to take these lessons, take these words, sit with ourselves in the purity of our heart and really examine within us, what is my truth? Where does this guide me to in a way that is the most truthful and the way that is serving my highest good? And like, there's so much agency that Islam actually gives us that, you know, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's really difficult to control people that have that much agency. And so I think that um, ijtihad is something that is so important. And that's kind of what you're describing. Yeah. And, and, and I think that, and I, and I want to get into this also, like in more depth, but I think a, a huge problem in Islam is that people often confuse it with their own culture and beliefs and everything gets kind of fucked up in a sense because yeah. you know you're just inserting your random shit and saying like this is a part of a religion but like no dude like that's that's just it's like not you, you, yeah that's, yeah and, culture and religion have become so dangerously intertwined we do not know the difference between the two <laughs> yeah a hundred percent and and I think the reason why I've had the experience that I have had is because my parents are not very cultural. Like they're cultural in the sense where like we'll eat Palestinian dishes, but like they, they don't really, they're not really interested in all of these other things. My parents just, they've never been that way. So there was never a confusion there for me because anything that I was being taught about Islam was, you know, just, Islam. But yeah, just going back to the question is where, where were you absorbing most of your information from? It was, it was absolutely definitely from school. Yeah. You know, that's where I spent, you know, eight hours a day, every day. And we had six religion topics. Oh, wow. And yeah. And you know, there's like, also it's, there's also the really beautiful side of being in a religious uh, community, which is there is, you know, it's, there's community, there was an inherent sense of, of self-worth um, there was like a, a deep sense of belonging and all that stuff, but yeah, it was all from school. It was all, all from school and, and, you know, the girls that I hung out with. And, um, again, my parents were pretty liberal in the sense that they never really, like, I remember I told my dad that I wanted to cover my hair when I was like 13 and he was like, no, he was like, think about it for a year. And if you still want to do it in a year, we can talk, you know, honestly, I so, think, and I think that's really a healthy, appropriate thing to say. And, and again, like, I, I feel like we kind of, 
had some similar experiences where I want to start wearing a hijab. My mom told me, she was like, this is a commitment. Like, are you sure this is something that you want to do? Like, maybe you want some time to think about it. And I remember my mom, I was very insistent about it. And she was like, why don't you try it out? Like kind of like uh, hijab, like with training wheels. Like I would wear like t-shirts and shorts with a hijab on my head. Like I was just like figuring it out, seeing if it was for me. And I think that it is something that is so personal. And I think a lot of times it's just kind of expected of women in Islam. Like you should just wear a hijab. And if you're you're not, then, well, I guess you're just a whore. You know what I mean? And yeah. but then, you know, the whole other thing is you wear a hijab and you're still a whore. You know, you're, you're always going to be a whore, but yeah, you're always going to be a whore. <laughs> you're a woman. So you're a whore. Uh, so you're but, a whore. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I just think that it's, it's really interesting though, because I know, that when you grow up in an, in in a Muslim country, there is this sense of community, and you hear the call to prayer five times a day, and it's beautiful. And 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 during like holy months like Ramadan, right now, it's like mm-hmm. everyone is kind of in the same mindset, and there is this really amazing sense of community. But I've mm-hmm. also kind of noticed that when people raise their children in, in Muslim countries, I think that they rely a lot on schools and all of these different you know, external places to teach their children about religion. And what ends up happening a lot of the time is those teachers that they have just continuously are inserting their personal beliefs, which when you're a kid, you don't question your teacher. You know what I mean? Yeah, you just kind yeah. of listen yeah. to it. And and were there moments where you felt like mm, this, this isn't sitting right with me or what, why is this teacher saying this or just kind of questioning what you were being taught? Yeah, I mean, I will say that there absolutely were those moments. Um, It's, they were very, it was super complicated, because on the one hand, there were moments like that, you know, I remember, what grade was I in? I don't know, it was probably like a fourth grade. And our teacher was saying that my best friend, her mother was American. um, And our teacher was saying that like, anyone that's not Muslim is not going to hell, is not going to heaven, they're going to hell. And I like looked at my best friend. And I was like, "Your mom's gonna go to hell." Yeah, that's a huge bummer. You know, I was like, <laughs> "I was like, this doesn't make sense." And I raised my hand, and I was like, "I was like, I was, and I was like, Neda's mom is not going to hell." Like, and she was like, "Well, she needs to become a Muslim." And I and I said, and I was just like, "No, she doesn't." And I got kicked out of class, and I got in a lot of trouble. But I think like that's the only memory that I have of of doing something like that. And I want to say. I think that for so many of us, at least for me, I remember just desperately wanting to be seen and I wanted to belong and I wanted to be validated and I wanted to be loved. And, and I, and, and like, even by my teachers, you know, by, by, by everyone, I had this, like this, just, I was just a kid and I just wanted to belong. And so the questioning was really like minimal. Uh, I, and that's, you know, so much of my art and activism is, is, is speaking to that. Like I didn't question much at all, even though in my body, clearly I questioned it. Cause like, then I'd go home and I was like, you know, I'd put on Alanis Morissette and just like fucking crawl on the floor. Like there was something that was off. Yeah. But, uh, it never, it never left like the basement it kind of just stayed there. Yeah. So my questioning was always very minimal. And that's the awakening that I was talking about, like super delayed, like, what, what do I believe, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I think that, you know, 
for for a lot of people that that is the case and you know I also wonder because again you you did grow up in Saudi Arabia and you mentioned briefly that there wasn't really sexual education. D- did anyone explain to you uh, your anatomy or just really anything relating to sex? Literally nothing. I mean, we did have biology and in biology, okay. you know, like uh, I think there were the basics of our anatomy, but like they didn't go- do a good job because I don't remember shit. Like I don't remember anything. Um, and at home, it was ne- like the word was never even uttered. There's just like you said, there's so much shame uh, surrounding it that I really had no resources um, at all. Um, it was almost like, you know, and I didn't, there was no access to, I mean, I think some people access porn in Saudi and I just like, I need to talk to them because I really <laughs> missed, I missed the boat, but I'm glad I didn't. Like I didn't have access to anything. The first time I saw anything sexual was when I stole of like a v, v, C, v, what are they called? VHS that my dad got from the States called fair game. It was like Cindy Crawford and fucking one of the Baldrum brothers. I don't even know. There's so many of there's them. A, there's a lot but of them. There's a lot of them. I, I I thought they were all Alec Baldwin, by the way. They all look exactly I, the same. It's I terrifying. thought they were all Alec. I thought there was one I thought there was one Baldwin. I just found out when I was writing my one woman show that there's multiple Baldwin brothers and I'm super uncomfortable with that. <laughs> anyways, anyways, I digress. That was the first time I saw anything sexual. Like and I, so I put it in, I was like, there's definitely something going on here. And sure enough, there was a sex scene on the train. Um and I saw like a man's butt for the first time. Um, but nothing, no, I, you know, I really knew nothing. (laughs) I mean, Hey, at least your school had the books. I went to high school in, in United Arab Emirates in Dubai and, and they ripped out the pages, um, in our biology textbook that had anything to do with anatomy. Um, so so sorry. Yeah. I don't don't know if they, I like, I don't remember anything. They literally, so they, they, they didn't first rip out the pages first. They had, um, put like a black piece of paper and like glued it over it. But then, you know, some curious young women who they can't have that happening, peeled it off in a way where they could still see it. And so we had to come into class and all of us had to rip the pages out in front of the teacher. And she collected each one from us of all the pages that they made us rip out. And I, you know, thinking back, I'm like, that's really fucked up, like more fucked up than I even think I realized but it's again, so fucked up. it was kind of so no one, no one even thought twice. It was just like, okay, yeah. like you can't look at this. Like, you, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and, and I've spoken about this briefly before because um, my dad is um, a retired physician. And so he spoke about human anatomy and, and, and our bodies very matter of factly. And I, again, mm-hmm. just didn't really had a full appreciation for that because I guess I didn't realize no one else was getting this information, but my dad would just tell us shit, like just in Mm -hmm. passing, like he would just give us information. And I grew up with older sisters. And, and so I I felt like I got some information, but there's still so much that I didn't realize until honestly. And like, again, I am an adult woman and I am still constantly learning things about my own body that I had no idea about. And it's, truly disturbing and I think it's a very shared experience for a lot of Muslim women and and that's why I'm I'm even more excited to have you on I'm just Mm. I think that you know by the time this episode is live you'll have announced your your show uh called fucked and blessed or would you is it effed and blessed or fucked and blessed I mean, it's, you know, for, for the gram, it's F and blessed, but it's fucked and blessed. It's so much more fun to say fucked and blessed. 
Yeah, it is more fun to say fucked and blessed. I love the word fuck and I love saying it. Um, yeah. But so it's, it's a, it's your one woman talk show uh, and it's, you know, reimagining sexual education, empowering women, wellness. I, I want to talk a little bit about what inspired you. I mean, obviously we've, we talked about your upbringing and I can see why this would be something that is important to you, but was there yeah. something specific that really made you feel like I need to do this? Well, yeah. I mean, first I'll say, uh, like, shout out the title of the show. Shout out to Dina Shahabi because it came, it was birthed from uh, really a, a shared experience that we had like four years ago. Dina had posted a photo of, and there's like a whole episode where we talk about this, but, um, di- but basically both of us had shared something of ourselves or our artistry. And it had, you know, big repercussions with our family. And we were just like literally on the couch crying together. So exhausted of this feeling of, you know, we want to express ourselves. We want to come into ourselves. We want to trial and error. And we feel so fucked because at every step, there's this gruesome negotiation. There's all these big consequences and, you know, this rippling effect to people like dozens of people from our fucking tribe. You know, it's just so heavy. And that's the fucked part. Um, but also we feel incredibly blessed to come from a culture and a community that really prioritizes intention and sacredness and ritual and like, and, and, and I wouldn't trade that for anything. So, you know, a lot of people think that the show means like, fuck, like I got fucked, but that's actually (laughs) not what we're talking about. But I like that people think that because it's, I guess, I don't know, it's catchy, but that's what, that's how it was born. Um, so this, the name of the show was born years and years ago. Um, but really I made this show because my journey with my sexuality has been, for so many of us, has been so difficult and has caused me a lot of, you know, mental turmoil. I started to, I started to realize like, hey, there's a really dangerous a battle that's happening internally of shame and self-hatred and feeling like I'm a bad person for loving my body, for loving my sexuality, for understanding that my eroticism is necessary, for wanting to move through life, prioritizing my pleasure. Like all of these things make me, like you said, a whore, a slut, a selfish person, somebody that doesn't care about the people around her. And it just reached a point where I felt like I was going to get like sick if I didn't solidify and articulate and ground myself in what I believed, you know, and what I believe is that our pleasure is necessary and vital for our survival. What I believe is that our sexual energy, especially as women is the most powerful energy in the world. And I believe that our sexuality is not bad. It is a blessing. It is necessary. And it's taken me, you know, I say this right now and it sounds like I, it's so easy for me to say, but I wish I could show you the last six years of my life. Like, you know, not to be dramatic, but it's been dramatic. Like I've been on the floor sobbing. I've, I've lost people. I've gone through fucking, you know, I, I would do like mushroom trips, like that supervised with people that are like with therapists and stuff. And I would literally spend like on my mushroom trip, like just like six hours being like, Oh, is it okay to be sexual? Like why, why is it like, just, just tearing my hair out at like, it's been such a fucking shit show. And so 
my prayer, like fucking bless is a prayer. It really is this prayer to like help alleviate um, this journey for other people. Like it shouldn't have to be this hard. It really, it should not have to be this hard. This should be your birthright to just know that your sexuality is who it's part, a part of who you are. And, and it's nothing to be fixed or integrated or healed. Like it's just a blessing. And I also think that, you know, obviously people are innately sexual and it's, it's, it's an unrealistic expectation that is put on women specifically for the most part to behave in, in, in what's considered to be like a demure way and, and, and all of this bullshit. And it's like, why, why is it that, you know, we're supposed to be sexual, like innately we're, we, that is how we all feel. And yet we're told that we need to silence this part of ourselves, and, and, and any questions that are asked about it are met with lots of shaming for the most part. And I think that, you know, even as, as I get older, you know, I don't think I'm a hundred percent comfortable with my sexuality. It's like a constant, of course, it's a Neither constant, am I. yeah, it's a constant kind of thing that I'm working through and, and figuring out and seeing what feels good for me and what I'm comfortable with and what I'm not comfortable with. Cause as much as we are all sexual beings, like everyone is so different in the way that of they course. express their sexuality and, and yeah. what they, how they feel most sexual and, and what makes them feel sex. There's just so many things that, you know, if you're not questioning it and if you're not exploring it, how will you ever know? And I think that something that's really common with women is that we're so concerned with pleasing, you know, sexual partners, and we never really take the time to figure out what feels good for us. And I think that there is a lot of shame tied to that, where it's like, well, I don't want to ask for this, or I don't want to say that I like this, or I don't want to say that I need, you know, X, Y, and Z. And I think that it's just, it's one of those things that has to be explored. I think that you are doing yourself a disservice by not exploring it. And I think, you know, if it, it, a lot of it comes back to a lack of education. And I think that it's because, you know, people know the more education you give people, the more information you give them, the more powerful they are Mm -hmm. about those topics. And, and I, I kind of, you know, that's why I, I really am excited for your show because, you know, just kind of looking through all of the things that you're going to be talking about. Like I saw uh, Hyman as one of the yeah. things and I was like, I want to learn more about Hyman's. I don't think that yeah. I know enough about Hyman's. All yeah. I know is that if you, if you, your Hyman is broken, like apparently men are going to know and they're going to be right. pissed. And it's like, number one, what the fuck? How, how, how would, how would you know? Second of all, right. like, I am like fairly certain that I broke my Hyman at like the age of like seven while like, I don't know, like playing or horseback riding or some shit. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't even like, 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 it's just one of those fucking things where it's like someone's grandma said this and then everyone just decided to like roll with it. So I, yeah. And it definitely wasn't a grandma. It was definitely a motherfucking man for sure. It was, that's probably true. You know, it was not a grandma. It was a man. Yeah. No, that's okay. It was, yeah, it was, it was like, it was some stupid fucking biologist. It's just men saw this seal and they, they, it has nothing to do with biology. That episode is actually called your hymen is a myth. Um, and because it has absolutely nothing to do with biological, with biology and everything to do with controlling, uh, women. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, you can watch the episode and we'll get into all of that, but your hymen for most people doesn't even fucking break. 
Um, it just like, it's incredibly stretchy and it just like becomes more resilient and it's all myth and, um, it's just so terrible. And, uh, I just want to, yeah. And so it's like you said, the more power, the more knowledge that people have, the more power we can walk with. And, um, you said some really gorgeous things and one of them being, um, and to me, that's why this show is so important when we start to understand our sexuality and when we start to build an intimate relationship with our bodies, with what feels like a yes, what feels like a no, how do I practice enthusiastic consent? How do I ask for what I need without apology? Um, how do I accept other people's boundaries? These, like, what's so exciting about, and most of Fucked and Blessed, by the way, if not all of it, is based on self-pleasure practices. So having sex with yourself, having an intimate relationship with yourself in the bedroom, because everything that we're talking about translates to the outside world. What feels like a yes to me when I'm sitting with this employer? What feels like a no to me? How do I ask for what I need? How do I receive their boundaries? Like, sex is one of the most exciting places to practice life. And all of sex is not about, like, sex is about everything but sex when you really pay attention to it. Like, it has, it's like, it's about everything but sex. You know, it's about, you know, it's about your desires and your wants and your limitations and your insecurities. And so, and I think that's part of why sexuality is so oppressed. Sexual energy is one of the most powerful energies in the world. When we start to become, you know, like in intimate relationship with our sexuality, everything changes. I really believe that. I I couldn't agree more. And I think that, you know, I I just, I think that it's so important as well that, you know, you're doing this and you also are knowledgeable about Islam because I think that's another huge thing where people, you know, want to follow their religion. And I, I completely understand that. And I think that everyone practices their faith in different ways, but I know for a lot of people, they are really concerned with, I don't want to commit a sin. And I think yeah. that there are all of these miscommunications and just straight up fucking lies about things being haram or a sin in, in Islam specifically that are just, yeah. again, not true at all. And is that something that you're going to touch on in your show or are you not really bringing religion into it? I mean, I, I, I am not, I'm not addressing the topics that I'm addressing and saying like, this is haram, this isn't haram, yeah. because I really believe that nothing that I'm talking about is haram, even though once upon a time I did, like, I thought that I was haram, like, yeah. I thought the fact that I was even thinking these things was haram, you know, I'm talking at, you know, I, part of why I made this show is because I'm not an expert, and I really wanted to show a voice in the conversation that is Muslim, that's like really stumbling through this, that's experiencing anxiety, shame, fear, and you, 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 you'll see it, and that's part of why the show is funny. The show is not meant to be funny, by the way. It just became <laughs> funny because it was such a shit show. Like some of the fucking episodes, I'm like sweating. We had to stop a million times, like just absolute fuckery because I was so afraid. But um, no, I am, I am talking about it as a Muslim and as an Arab, but I am not a religious authority. Yeah. I am a person that has, like I, I did my ijtihad. I sat with myself and I have come to the conclusion that none of this is haram, that it is everybody's birthright to be in an intimate relationship with their sexuality, period. We are born from sex. This is God's gift to us. 
Like we make, that's how you make life. It's literally the energy that all life is made from. So to me, I'm not even negotiating that, but I reference things being haram all the time. And I reference the shame and like, it's very present, but I in no way feel like I have the authority to tell someone what is and isn't haram, what is and isn't a sin. You know, you know, if only other people felt that way. <laughs> I know, I know, totally. And you know, I, I like, I really hope that this show speaks to the most religious of people because at the end of the day, like, like I said, I'm not telling you to go have sex with other people. I could, I don't care about partner sex. I care about sex between you and you, and everything that everything that comes, you know, in that intimate uh, relationship. Um, I don't care about orgasms. I don't like. I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm talking about, you know, what's our relationship to pleasure? Why are we so averse to pleasure? Why are we so married to suffering? Um, what does eroticism mean? How does eroticism empower us in our life? What does um, enthusiastic consent look like? What does our cervix do? Like all of these things of like you starting to feel empowered within yourself. Couldn't care less about who you're having sex with or your partner. Like, not my business. And when you were creating the show, do you feel like, I know you mentioned earlier that there were like times where you were like, a feeling afraid. What were you feeling afraid of? Were you feeling afraid about talking about about sex in the, to the degree that you did talk about it in the show? Or what was creating this fear? Yeah, of course. I mean, first of all, I had never even said the word like, sex out loud. I've never talked about any of my body parts out loud. I, I still, you know, I come from Saudi Arabia. That's where my yeah. community, my family is like, none of them know about this show till this day. Like nobody knows what's going on. I was afraid. I think, but it's, you know, it's not just with fucked and blessed. It's with my art in general. I have been afraid of, of losing community of losing, um, my belonging. And that has been a price that I have had to pay. Um, and so, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, like a, I, I've surrendered to that, to that reality um, that this isn't something, and I know that I'm, I'm still very privileged, but it's something that has come at a high cost. The fear is all the loss that comes from it. The fear is, um, you know, people thinking that I um, am a whore, that I have no respect. Um, that I'm selfish, um, that I'm just like running around through life doing whatever the fuck I want and fuck everybody else. But I will say that I've done my work and also all of my biggest fears have come true. Um, so now again, it's just that I have surrendered to it. And now like there's, there's less fear and just like, I'm just trying to be so present because like I said, everything that I was afraid was going to happen happened. Yeah. So, now so at this like, point it's like, well, yeah. Yeah, let me just be as present and sincere and honest as I can be. And I think that, you know, I think that's what all of us should be striving towards just, you know, fears aside, you know, sacrifices aside, like it's just so important you 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 owe it to yourself to to work towards these feelings of self, you know, having a sense of self and, and knowing who you are and what you want. It's, it's so, it's so special. And it's something that only you can experience. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you can't yeah. live vicariously through someone else's experience. And it's, it is scary. And, and, and I did want to ask, do did you, did you get lash, um, 
what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> you know, uh, God damn it. I'm having one of those moments where my brain fog is really just very thick right now. But uh, that's a word backlash. Did you get backlash from friends and family? Or was this just like random people on the internet? I it, it was all around. It was it's it, it was all around. And I think that that is, um, you know, that is just something that happens when you are a doing something new, but especially when you are talking about and expressing about, um, you know, sexuality, <laughs> and also just um, following your desires, because I think we come from cultures that really put the emphasis on um, the community, right? The machine, which is so gorgeous, but like individual expression is completely lost in that. And, you know, we have an Islam which means like pleasing and appeasing your parents and like that. And like, we're taught like that is the gateway to heaven. And so I think it's tough when you prioritize your, um, your joy and your sense of fulfillment and your right to follow the questions that you want to follow, it can be perceived even by the people closest to you as extremely selfish and wrong and self-serving and, and bad, you know? And so um, the backlash and the misunderstanding has come from all, from all directions. And and we're still learning how to understand that um, female sexuality is, is beautiful and powerful and necessary. And, um, that's absolutely like not present in Saudi Arabia yet. It's just not like it's, it, it it's impossible for people, I believe to, to in, like from a culture like Saudi Arabia, it's still like, it doesn't compute in them that a woman could be expressing her sexuality with zero for herself. Yeah, you know, it's like they don't get it. All they think is that like you're you're expressing any type of sexuality that means that you are trying to seduce. Um, you I are think doing in general, this, you know. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah in general, I, absolutely. Society views everything that women do as it being directed towards the male gaze, and I'm like, I exactly. literally, I, I I'm happy to say that for most of my adult life, I've never done anything because I think a male will like it. In fact, I've almost strived to do things that would deter them, especially in the way I chose to dress or speak or whatever it may be. Like I, I think the last thing you should be thinking about when you're discovering a sense of self is how will this be received by men? You know what I mean? Totally, totally, totally. And I think, you know, you touched on something that's really important, which is a lot, what a lot of us uh, women end up doing or, or, or female identifying beings is because we don't want to be in the confines of patriarchy and, and, you know, we don't want, we don't want our pleasure to be um, objectified by the male gaze. And I learned this from one of my teachers, her name is Kendra Kunoff. She talks about like our, our response to that a lot of the time is shutting down our sensuality, our pleasure and our sexuality completely. Right. But the problem is that is like that exists in the same box of oppression. That is also oppression. You're saying, you know, I'm not going to feel pressure. I'm not going to feel sexuality or sensuality because you, you're going to fucking eat it up and it's not for you. And it's like, but then we're depriving ourselves. So and that's that's of service to no one. So I'm we're trying to find 
we're trying to just like completely step out of that box entirely, you know, and yeah. not exist there. And I, I, I know that that's something that I have been working through navigating because you're absolutely correct. I think in the sense where I did not want to be perceived as someone who was doing things for the male gaze, it ended yes. up in a certain way hindering my own, you know, feelings on my own sexuality. And, and yeah. I remember having a conversation not that long ago with my sister because I, I wanted, and this is so ridiculous, but I wanted to uh, talk about some like bras that I really liked on, on yeah. Instagram, because yeah. I know as a woman finding bras that you like is de not easy. And, you know, again, like I am in my thirties and I'm just now finding bras. I'm like, Oh, I like these bras. And yeah. so I wanted to talk about them. And I was like, yeah, but like, I feel like I want to post some on my Instagram stories, but like, I don't want creepy guys to like think that this is some invitation. And I remember my right. sister just telling me, she was like, I mean, aren't they just going to be creepy regardless? Like you're not like inviting them to be creepy by talking about bras because no. bras are, are, are undergarments. There's really not much that's sexual about them. They're just literally things that you wear and, you know, you talking about them. She's like, if men are going to respond in, in a sexual way, way to you talking about that she's like I mean they're probably gonna dm you weird shit regardless that you That's did true. not ask for or consent she's like so I think that you should just talk about whatever and I was like oh my god like I can't even like as I was saying it out loud because sometimes you don't realize these things until you actually voice them and then as soon as yeah. you hear yourself saying it you're like wait a fucking minute this why the fuck am I even doing like behaving this way I don't believe in this like why am I allowing men to control what I share and what I don't share. You know what I mean? It, it's because you're right. It is still, regardless of what you're doing, it's still more so about the intention behind why you're doing it that should matter more than anything exactly. else. And that, and that it's something even as simple as wanting to talk about bras that you think are comfortable because maybe you'll help some people find a bra. You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah. It, it really can be as small and as simple as that, but you don't realize all of these things that have accumulated over the years and, 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 and we aren't even aware of them because they're so ingrained in, you know, our, what is considered to be a norm in whatever society we exist in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, uh, I do want to talk a bit about, you know, your music, because as I mentioned, you know, when I introduced you, you're, you're a songwriter, you're a singer, you have an incredible voice, you're so talented, and you, you have some pretty, I guess, what would be considered to be uh, risque music in as far as Arab artists are concerned. Um, and in your song, Sin Again, I thought it was really um, just such a great piece of art that I think would resonate with so many people. And, and when you were writing that song, what, mm -hmm. what was, what was going through your mind when you're writing it? I mean, obviously to go step by step through a songwriting process would be a lot, but you know, just a, a little yeah. synopsis. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, thank you so much for that. And sin again is like, it's a beautiful song about, you know, on, on the surface level, it's about touching yourself and, it was really born from a, a memory that I had um, back home where um, I was praying and I was like, 
I was, I was totally entranced. I was totally entranced in this experience of prayer and feeling the presence of love and God. And, um, and then I started to think about like my high school crush (laughs) and I just like, kind of like brushed, uh, brushed my thigh and, and felt this intimacy with myself. And then that rippled through my body. And I was like, it was the first moment where I was like, whoa, like my prayer and my, the, the aliveness that I feel within my body is not different. And so, uh, sin again is just like, it's, 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 you know, the chorus says, I touch my sin again, I touch my skin again, because we were taught that I was taught that my body was a sin, unless it was in service of God or man. And, um, that was what was going through my head is like, you know, the second verse is like, he's a king and I can only watch him, but I can't touch him. Like everything was segregated in Saudi Arabia. And I would stare at my then, you know, secret boyfriend, um, because he was in the boy section of school. And it was just like, that song is just all about this innocence of like wanting to be intimate with yourself, wanting to touch yourself, wanting to know, you know, young puppy love and, and knowing somewhere deep down that it's not a sin. And so the song just is a celebration of like, okay, fine. You want to call it a sin? I touch my sin again. I touch my skin again. Like, you know, like I, I'm just kind of reclaiming that, that, that word. I think that that's honestly like a a shared experience though with so many like young Arabs, regardless of whether they're Muslim. Because again, like culture plays such a big role in these things. And and the culture is, is amazing in so many ways, but then there are these very kind of, uh, Patriot, uh, like, just the patriarchy is is very well and alive i think yeah. in in all cultures but in arab culture specifically it's it is this weird burden i think that is put on women and and boys are allowed to yeah. think girls are hot it's it's not yeah, i mean my brother had a girlfriend my brother had a girlfriend and like that was chill and I mean, I was like grounded for fucking three months when I got caught with my boyfriend at the park. Like, you know, there's total just double standards. And it's not because like our parents are terrible. It's because the culture and like the customs are really scary and they really are, you know, in favor of men. And I I think that our parents wanted to protect us. Um, And uh, yeah, but it's uh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I'm really glad that you brought that up because I, I think ultimately it's important to remember that your parents are literally humans just trying to, you know, do the best that they can. And I think, you know, I can't speak for everyone when I say this, everyone's relationship with their family is so different, but I think a lot of the things that my parents did really, the source of it was wanting me to be protected in, in a, in a sincere way. They wanted me to be safe. They wanted me to be protected. And and I, I don't have children, but I have a lot of nieces. And yeah. even for me, and I'm very, I would say, open-minded, as, especially, you know, as a Muslim woman, I'm very progressive. I'm, I, I'm very open to, you know, different ideas and different approaches. And I find myself wanting to tell my niece don't let boy like don't do this don't like I, I, it's it's this yeah. weird like you want to protect these these children that you love yeah. and you know I, it's me constantly telling myself like you can't just you can't just make things like 
black and white and forbidden in that way because that did not really serve you very well. And and as much as the intention behind it was to protect me, that's not really what the result was, I guess. No, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Repressing, repressing, whether it's sexuality or anything, it just, it does not work. Um, giving people education and compassion and um, a place, you know, a safe place to discuss and land yep. in, like, that's what works. You know, the answer is not acting like it's not there. Um uh, yeah, I, I, I really, really believe that, especially when it comes to, to sexuality and sex education. And I, I, I remember having like this talk with my sister being like, I, I really think you should let her know that it, this is a safe place for her to tell you about like, yeah. if she's into people because my sister's like, oh, I'm sure she knows. I'm like, you don't know that she knows. Like, no, you exactly. Need- you don't know. And in fact, I bet you like, yeah, you don't know that she knows. We didn't know. It, exactly. Like, I, I don't think we didn't know. Like, I think our parents, we grew up with like, we are, we are so privileged. Like we have so many tools and resources that our parents and permission that our parents' generation just didn't have. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm so glad you said that to her because I yeah, and think she, I, we didn't know, I didn't know that I could talk to my parents, but I don't the, think I can. <laughs> the thing is, and, 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 and I, what I will say is I would probably still feel very uncomfortable talking about, you know, self-pleasure with my parents. But as I've I could never. Older, I, I've really learned that like the boundaries that I think existed as in regards to communicating with them were not as difficult as I thought they were. And, and, and it's, it's something that again, it's much easier said than done. And I definitely recognize that although my parents are extremely religious, they're very like educated and understanding. And I guess for the mo- I would describe them as people who truly understand the point of Islam as as opposed to like you know the weird version that I feel like circulates a lot and is much louder um right. but I think that over time I've just started dipping my just just saying little things here and there and just really exploring what that relationship is like and, and, and what my parents, where they draw the line and what they're uncomfortable with and what they're not. And, and as I've gotten older, it's, it's become easier for me. And, and I regret not pushing those boundaries a little earlier, even, you know, in, in, even when I say pushing boundaries, like I'm not saying crazy shit to my parents, but just, you know, saying things about taking a risk, taking a risk, being vulnerable and, and allowing them to surprise you. I think, yeah. Absolutely. I, I totally feel that too. It's, it's a, it feels like such a big leap and such a big risk. And sure. I've had moments like that where I'm like, Oh, like you're just like surprised you, you, you know, moments where you're so sure that your parents or whoever else, like there's no way that this person is going to meet me in the middle and somehow they do. But we, and, you know, we just like have to be brave enough to try. Absolutely. And I mean, I, I can't even tell you how many times a week, I get messages from young Arab girls saying, how did you move out? Tell me how you moved out. How do you live on your own? How do you still have a relationship with your parents? And the amount of times I'm asked this is upsetting because I'm like, this is a common theme. But I remember a time where the thought of moving out did seem like this impossible thing. That the only way for me to exist 
in what I believe to be an independent way was to be married, which is not really the best option if you're looking for independence. I think you can be independent in a marriage, but I also think that if your goal is to find that sense of independence, looking to another person for that is not really the the ideal direction, I would imagine. Um, and, and, you know, I just, again, it, it was one of those situations where I just told my parents I was doing it. And, yeah. and, and yeah. I, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know if they mm-hmm. would freak the fuck out. It was just, I never even touched that topic with them. And my mom was very down, didn't care at all. My dad wasn't even that he was upset about it. I think that he more so just was like, why wouldn't you want to live with your parent? Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. we love you. Like, yeah. like, why don't you want to hang out with us? That was more so his concern. Like, don't you like hang- living with yeah. us? And I was yeah. like, yeah. And I was like, that's adorable that that is how it's, you feel. Yeah. It, it, and, and I was so surprised by it. And then I think I'm like, why, why am I so surprised by it? And it's because you hear about all of these negative things that happen to people and how their parents cut them off and how they do this and that. And, and I think that is real. And I think that does happen. And, and those stories deserve to be told. But I also think there's something to be said about being honest with yourself and exploring, you know, who you are and, and, and dipping your toe in, in those relationships that you have and in the direction of what is authentic to you and, and it might be, and it's risky, but it's ultimately, you know, it's worth it. And I think whether or not my parents were okay with it, I knew that that's something that I wanted to do and I was going to do it regardless. Um, yeah. and, and I think it's just allowing yourself to explore parts of yourself in whatever sense that may be and, and, and being okay with whatever the outcome is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's like you said, it's allowing yourself, giving yourself the permission to follow your internal compass, if you will. And like you said, like, it's not always, a lot of times there is a very high price to pay. And I I just want to acknowledge people that do have that journey, because I think that sometimes the outcome is, you know, yes, it is worth it. And I really believe that the only way for you to find your true you know, tribe, people that see and accept you for who you are is to follow your internal compass. And at the same time, I think there's a lot of people that are going to live with, um, live with this question of, was it worth it? You know, was everything that I had to give up worth it? And I think deep down, we know the answer. But I just want to like, I just want to acknowledge that. Um, I think that's part of a lot of, it's going to be a part of a lot of people's journeys, you know? Um, but I think the answer is yes. And even if the answer is, I don't know, I think the people that are committed to their truth are going to find themselves like there's something in them that is still pushing forward, even if they don't know. And that's kind of the answer, you know? I mean, listen, that the way you just articulated that, I'm like, this is why, this is why you have your one woman show. (laughs) And I'm, I'm genuinely so fucking excited to watch it because I already know I'm not even going to fucking lie right now. I am going to learn things that I don't know. I know it. You are going to be crying the whole show. Like, that's what I love about the show. If you're a crier, if any, like anybody that has a tendency to cry, just like cries for an hour and it makes me so happy. 
It's cathartic. I Again, I had this weird resistance growing up. There was this weird shame I had where like, if I cry, like I'm a baby, I'm weak. Like, no, crying is amazing and cathartic. And, and, and it's important to, if you feel an emotion and you feel like you want to cry, it's really important to just let yourself cry. And, and it's, and it's perfectly fine. And it's, there's no reason that you should feel weak or embarrassed. Like, we're humans. Totally. We cry. It's cool. Like yeah. I'm looking forward to watching your show and crying. In fact, thank you. I'm so glad. I hope I fucking cry my eyes out. Genuinely, I, I I'm really telling you. you do too. There's nothing. There's no better feeling than watching shit that makes you cry, and then just, yeah. you know, getting it all out. And yeah, I don't know. I always feel really good after I cry, but um, that that's just also might be because I'm I'm weird. But no, uh, you're not weird. It's cathartic. Everyone should be crying more. I couldn't agree more. I, in fact, I, I would, I was thinking the other day, I'm like, I haven't cried in a little while. And I genuinely was going to watch something to make myself, not make myself cry, but you know, inspire some crying because Dude, it's a yeah. it is a relief. Yeah. I put uh, on, I put on a piece, like I will put on often if I'm feeling shit stirring inside of me, but I'm not like, I can feel that something wants to be released, but it's not, I'll put on a piece of like really gorgeous music that I know is going to crack me open. And it's always very cathartic, like you said. And um, yeah, and I just want to say just because uh, I use that example of listening to a piece of music that cracks you open. Um, one of the things that we talk about in Fucked and Blessed is uh, eroticism. And what does what, what is the erotic? Because I think that's a topic that's like severely misunderstood. And uh, there's a whole episode based on Audre Lorde, who is an a black queer uh, author, scholar, intersectional feminist. She's the greatest. Um, but she has a, she has an essay that was released in 1975 called uses of the erotic, the erotic of, as power. And it really reframes what the erotic means. Um, and the erotic is really anything that gives us this full sense of aliveness like full presence with everything that is here in the moment and so everything in you is fully alive and like one of my teachers says Alana Meta, it's like this feeling of life is becoming more of itself it's this generative energy that's erotic like that's why it feels like catharsis because something is dying and something is being born and it's sex you know that is what is erotic and so when we cry when we allow emotion to 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 exit our bodies we are you know something is dying and something is and then we are receiving something new and so i just wanted to sorry i just cuz i'm so passionate about the erotic and i know i've said it multiple times throughout our conversation and i really want to clarify that i'm not talking about like fishnet stockings and stripper poles like if that's your thing great but that's not what the erotic is and i really appreciate the fact that you are passionate about it because, you know, I think that there's just this connotation with words like sensuality, eroticism, like all of these words, it's just, you think of it, you immediately think of, like you said, fishnets, right? And, and, yeah. and that's not really what it's all about. And, and that's something that I'm learning more about. And I'm, like I said, I'm so excited to watch your show because I feel like there is so much as women, we don't know about our bodies and about you know all of these things that come into play and 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 understanding ourselves in a deeper way and i think yeah. it's like a never ending journey so there's always more to learn and and if it can make me 
know myself better or explore a part of myself or understand a part of myself better, I think, you know, that's, that's all I kind of want to do as a human. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's really exciting to see, you know, someone who is Muslim, who is Arab speaking about these topics, because as hard as I'm sure it was for you to do that and to speak about it, I mean, there are things that I've spoken about on my podcast that I never thought I would speak publicly about, but it is liberating. And I know as someone who also consumes it, it feels liberating for me to just witness it in a way, you know what I mean? So it's a win, I think for, for Muslim women, for, for Arab women, for, you know, for everyone in the region and just for women in general to hear you have a voice about these things and, and educate others about it while you are learning about it. And, and I know that you're also getting certified as a sex doula, which is really, really, really cool. And I kind of know what a doula is, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. So what does that entail? Yeah, I don't even like to use the word doula, to be honest. Like, I feel like I have no right to be using that word, but I'm getting this certification from the National Black Doulas Association. You know, a birth doula is somebody that, like, facilitates (laughs) the birth, like, like, is there bearing down with the mother before, during, after, and and really bringing life into this world, um, grounding, offering support. Um, but in a holistic sense, you know, not just like, not what they do at the fucking hospital, which is just so kind of traumatic in a very, you know, physical, uh, spiritual, cognitive, like all of these, all of these elements, um, being taken into consideration. Um, and really what a sex doula is. And again, I, I wanted like kind of stray away from the word doula, but the certification that I'm getting is what I am going to purpose it for is teaching girls how to get into right relationship with their sexuality. And for me, I can only teach from the steps of my journey that have been like foundational, which is how do I first come to believe that my sexuality is good? Okay, so in order to do that, we have to address shame. We have to address cultural upbringing. We have to address your relationship to your parents and to family and how, you know, what are your spiritual beliefs? So like I, but also I'm going to, what I, I'm studying a lot of is what are, what are different breathing techniques? What are different like yogic techniques? What are different tantric techniques that we can really utilize to bring ourselves into conversation with our bodies and with our sexuality and and learn how to be with the shame and not run away from it or not try to eliminate it because for a lot of us it's going to be a lifelong journey you know so to me that's like that's what the certification is all about um some some women in the program are going to take this and teach other people you know teach people how to have like amazing orgasms and how to have great sex with their partner like i think that's great but i don't care <laughs> like <laughs> i'm interested in uh because for me like i said those first steps took 6 years actually they took my whole life you know i was confused about this from when i was a child um for me when where i come from like that's that's what i want to serve first and yeah. foremost like giving people permission to understand that their sexuality is beautiful it is their birthright and so how do we navigate all the blocks to that because it's not something to create it's something to remember it's already there we just need to remove all of the blocks you know 
I couldn't agree more. And I just like, I can't emphasize enough just how excited I am for your show to come out. Um, And thank you so much for coming on the show and talking to me. I want you to tell everyone where they can watch fucked and blessed, where they can find you, where they can find your music, just, just all the things. Thank you. Okay, so Fucked and Blessed is going to actually just be on my Instagram on IGTV. So you can follow me at I am Rotana, R-O-T-A-N-A. It's all one word. I'm Rotana. And um, my music is on Spotify under Rotana. My artist name is just Rotana. It's just one word. And yeah, Instagram is just a great place to find me in general. So yeah. Amazing. And I will have all of that linked in the episode description. Again, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, As always, you guys can follow the podcast on Instagram at Arab American Psycho, where you will see a lovely photo of Rutana. And you can follow (laughs) me on Instagram at Nori, where I'm just, you know, being ridiculous, being vain, (laughs) screaming about things. I don't know, posting pictures of cats. Um, As always, Don't forget to floss your teeth, wear SPF, don't be a fucking asshole, and I will talk to you guys next Sunday.